0: Welcome to Freelance Feels, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. This is the final episode of season three, and I speak to a freelance bet. And no, I haven't heard of one before either. Matt Scroggy, aka This Bet Runs, lifts the lid on locum work, as it's officially known, and why she thinks freelancing is a bit like speed dating. She also talks about avoiding practice slash office politics. This was recorded during lockdown, so we do talk about the challenges she faced there including the demand for freelance vets going down almost overnight, as well as how it's worked for her being a vet during lockdown and the emotions of helping people say goodbye to a pet. This episode was recorded in the summer of 2020. Welcome to Freelance Seals, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. Today I'm chatting to freelance vet Nat Scroggy. Hi Nat, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you Jenny, how are you? I'm very well, thank you for chatting. We actually met sort of virtually because I was writing a feature and um, your name came up as a vet to speak to and then I noticed that you were a freelance vet. So could you tell everyone about what, what is a freelance vet, how you got into being a self-employed vet, tell us everything about your freelance.
1: um so it's actually quite it's not uncommon to be a freelance vet it's more commonly it's more commonly called a locum vet um yeah but I like to I kind of like to think of it as a freelance vet because um, I think it, being a locum vet means that you um, travel around different places so you fill in for um, staff shortages, holidays, maternities and it can be anything from an afternoon to a day to a few weeks to a few months to a year or more but that's quite being a locum vet is quite a specific thing so it means that you locum within different practices whereas I kind of think the term freelance vet means that it expands what being a vet can be and I do lots of different things within the veterinary world so I kind of feel like that that term is not used as much but that's the term oh. that I kind of went with um because I think it sums up a little bit more more what I do but I started in much more sort of traditional ways so I started um I'm a small animal vet so that's mm. what I've always done but I started in a small animal practice and just on a kind of standard uh, five and a half day a week kind of thing and I ended up becoming a night vet so I ended up oh. doing a little bit more of an unusual rate so I was working seven nights on and then 14 days off which was really good initially until I got like really really tired no, quite exhausting. <laughs> that's but like nocturnal yeah yeah I know everyone's always like oh wow two weeks off that sounds amazing and it is amazing and I definitely wouldn't be doing all the interesting things that I do now if I hadn't done a rotor that enabled me to have that freedom mm. um but certainly that like, we didn't get any holiday or anything like that so although it sounds really good having two weeks off actually over time I found that I got sort of chronically very exhausted mm. um but swapping to a rotor which gives you that time and the freedom and space to sort of think about to explore the other things that you're interested in was really life-changing for me and I think being a vet is a really intense career Um mm. we work long hours and not everyone's sort of happy doing what they do but I think because it's so it takes over your life so much I think for most people they don't have just the time or like the, the mental space to really mm. think what else could I do outside or within veterinary and to explore those because we just simply don't have the time to do it so that's what that rotor gave me I started exploring lots of other things within that time but I also started locoming at other practices to earn a little bit on the side and um, so I built up a client base kind of when I was doing that so I had the flexibility but I had the stability of, of my contract and my full-time salary but I developed I got sort of clients and stuff through that um, and then it didn't feel like well, I did it was really scary when I made the leap to being self-employed <laughs> but it didn't feel like such a big leap because actually um I was turning I realized I was turning down enough work to keep me going full-time
0: that's cool oh I love that so you did that classic segue where it's like you're in one role and you still want to do what you do but self-employed so you build up to it you don't so I think a lot of people imagine that we just decide we wake up one morning and go I'm going freelance right then I'm quitting and I'm off but you've got to kind of build up build up to it haven't you and sort of sort of test a few things out it sounds like you had a nice time kind of deciding where you might go and did you kind of consider whether small animals was the right thing for you or has that always been very much your your niche I mean what is what small animals what do they go up to are we talking small <laughs> pony? What's a
1: small pony <laughs> so a small animal really is like anything that's a pet so not cool. so it's generally split up into small animal which would be cats kind of really cats dogs rabbits and others Within that is exotics, but that's becoming a bit more of a specialised field. So I don't do a lot of exotics. um And then there's equine, which is obviously horses. And then there's large, and then large is anything that isn't any of those. And it's anything, obviously, like cows and sheep, but also maybe small holdings like alpacas, llamas, that kind of ah, thing as well. Very um,
0: popular. Oh, cool. So, yeah, yeah I went to like, a, bit... it's a small animal
1: bit <laughs> <laughs> I went to vet school dead set on becoming an equine vet and that's all I ever oh. wanted to do but yeah realized along the way it wasn't wasn't for me no. um, and swapped a small animal which I haven't regretted um, and I'm definitely not qualified to I'm technically qualified to treat any species but um <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> forgotten everything I know about other species
0: yeah, brilliant brilliant and so do you have contracts or do you have certain do you have a certain amount of clients who might then ring you up and say are you available in say August or are you do you kind of book? jobs in like I would do with say a magazine I might book in for all of July in the office do you kind of do it that way is it kind of a contract based or then will someone say can you do Saturday because someone's sick is it a bit of a mix in that way
1: yeah a bit of a mix and I I'm a bit of a commitment phobo sort of very I think (laughs) because I'm quite early I'm doing a lot of different things I've diversified in lots of different ways and I'm always really scared of saying yes to something and then another opportunity coming up so classically I haven't taken a lot of long-term things um but one of the things that people probably aren't aware of within the veterinary world is it's become very corporatized so there are a couple of large groups that own the vast majority of veterinary practices um and some of those groups the practice itself will still look from the outside like a local vet but it is actually owned by a large corporate group so I used to work for one of the large corporate groups and they dominate sort of the area that I live in which was quite useful because when I was a night vet, I would do the out of hours for those sort of 12, 13 practices. So I was really doing their emergency work and kind of got to know them a bit through that. And then Mm -hmm. I started locating for them to help out because they knew that I'd have that two weeks off. So I developed that kind of client base. And because they're all connected, sort of one person would say, oh, well, you could you could try nat or, or whatever so to develop kind of like that so I did a lot of I do a lot of last minute work kind of like the night vet. is called and sick can you come in in an hour <laughs> <laughs> um, and I quite like that because then I've got the decision to make it's not too much of a commitment if I haven't got plans in the next hour then probably nothing exciting is gonna
0: happen Yeah, you've got something to do with your evening <laughs>
1: yeah so at the oh. moment I'm on a more medium term thing which is the biggest commitment I've made for ages so that's I'm there for at least kind of two three months working full time and that's the first time I've done I think it's the first time I've been anywhere for more than two weeks actually really? um, but I go back to the same places so I do feel I I really enjoy it because I, I everywhere I go I think they're all really really lovely um because I'm there long enough and I go back frequently enough that I know everyone I feel part of mm-hmm. the team when I walk in and you're always there to help that's one of the really lovely things about yeah, doing yeah. i think in america they call it relief work but it's really nice because you walk in and you're you're an extra person and you're there to help and you're there to relieve the team so genuinely people are pleased to see you but i leave before the point that people are comfortable enough to start getting involved with like gossip and practice politics so yeah, I never yeah. I'm never really there long enough to even be aware of it. So everywhere I go I just think that all really lovely and I never really get a sense of like of the gossip or anything like that. And I really like that. And then when I go back in I know everyone I'm familiar, but again, I don't get sort of sucked into that because that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I left permanent work because I I just really didn't, I loved being a vet, um, but I didn't feel that vet school really prepared me for the work, the difficulties of the workplace and and the practice politics. And I found that really frustrating because I felt like it really impacted my ability to do my clinical work. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's sort of one of the big reasons that I went freelance
0: oh that's weird. and I don't
1: have to go back somewhere if I don't like it either <laughs> no exactly that's the
0: thing I love about I mean in my world they call it shifts and it's like I always say it's a bit like freelance temping but yeah if you go somewhere for a month and you're like this has been a hideous experience and I don't like this team you just think well I won't go there anymore hopefully there's somewhere else to go but it is that picking and choosing it's like well yeah the the flip side of not knowing what's coming up next and perhaps that slight freelance fear of oh, will anything come up is flipped around mm. to oh well if I don't like it there great i'll just i'll move yeah, on absolutely and i think we're yeah. like
1: speed dating um oh, brilliant. <laughs> and you know and like at the point where i want to get another job i probably worked in i don't know, I must have worked in like 17 or 18 practices mm-hmm. within an hour of my house so i've worked in really like a lot of the places that i could consider getting a permanent job so at the point where it, if i ever feel like i want to do that again then i've gathered a lot of information i've also in a bit like speed dating I feel like you know I've gone through a whole load of relationships really quickly and if you if you go from one job to another it takes you years and years and years to learn what works for you and I've learned a huge amount about what suits me and like just in terms of like we often work really long hours but I find if I finish work at six o'clock I have the energy to do loads of stuff, and I'm way happier than I've ever finished at seven o'clock. But I also know that I don't do particularly well getting up before seven a.m. Um, and <laughs> certain distances traveling, and just so you know, certain working patterns, and makes and a huge difference to me. We have ten-minute consultations or fifteen-minute consultations, and just so many different things I've learned about the types of teams that I like working in, the distance, the hours, um, and I just think it, it could have taken me twenty years to figure that out, and instead it's taken me. couple of years so you're like intense training with loads of different companies rather than oh
0: that's why freelancing is like speed dating I love that (laughs) and what (laughs) are the challenges and it sounds like a really positive way of working and you've seemed very positive about it is there anything that is more of a challenge about that that way of working is it sometimes difficult do you sometimes sort of think oh nobody's emailed this week I do wonder what's going to happen in August do you get those feels as well in that respect
1: um so I've only been freelance since uh November so what's that like I don't know maybe nine months or something yeah Yeah, quite recent so I have to admit actually I was really lucky I had loads of work had work coming out of my ears. so I wasn't really well obviously I was constantly worried about it (laughs) because you are but I just (laughs) got to the point where I was feeling like you know what actually this is quite reliable and I feel quite good about this um and I can be relatively picky with what I do and then um and then Covid hit and suddenly so pretty much every locum in the country got cancelled on the same day oh, the really? corporates put a big a total ban because you know there wasn't any mm. work it was skeleton team so you don't need a locum if you're working with one vet where you might have had five so that was quite scary although mm. I think one of the things that lockdown has shown us is that a lot of people um have this feel when they're permanently employed that that that's it and they're really safe and kind of whatever happens yeah. they're fine and I think lockdown showed showing that actually that's not the case at all and as a freelancer you're really flexible you can adapt you can change what you do you can explore the opportunities and actually I'm not sure being permanent is anything like as stable as we mm. thought it was but most people haven't experienced that and like when I was a night that I you know looking into kind of well how risky is it and I think I'd, I'd never really read my contract and I sort of thought oh well if I broke my leg then you know I'd still get paid and actually as a night vet my sick pay was pro rata for what I did to so one week and three so I actually was only entitled to five days paid sick leave oh, for the year, okay. and that was yeah. it so you know I earn a lot more as a freelancer than I did permanent so actually that stability which I assumed if I got poorly that I would um be fine. I to be able to pay my mortgage. It wasn't there at all and I just hadn't read my contract properly. Mm. Um so I think, you know, it brings its own it's if so both me and my partner are both self employed. Um, so certainly is he yeah, well, well see if a freelance no, vet? No. Oh, gosh, no, I couldn't live with another vet. <laughs> no, he's a um he's a sole practitioner architect, so very different field, um, but was similarly affected by by COVID. Uh-huh. So it was fairly scary kind of both having that but actually um, I was able to be a lot more flexible and because the traffic is really low I've traveled a lot further and I'm very lucky that that. I'm an experienced night vet so I can do night and emergency work which a lot of other locums don't want to do so I found that I had to travel further do nastier shifts and went back to night work which I would hope to leave behind but my work did actually remain relatively stable throughout mm. lockdown. so I now do feel like well you know what that was an enormous test and I've got a lot yeah. of local friends who've been completely out of work for three months now like literally not even a single day and I've been very lucky so um, and on the days where I didn't have work, it's allowed me to explore some of the other things I do, like writing and media work. So mm-hmm. it's actually been quite a positive thing. And I think moving forward, I do feel like, well, you know what, maybe it has now been tested quite early on. Yeah, in <laughs> um, November. Be... <laughs> oh, God. I know. <laughs> and, it, and it's proven sort of relatively robust. But I think because I've been able to adapt mm. um, to what
0: people are looking for. I think that's such a key thing, isn't it? Is to kind of, there's two things there that I really love. That I think we should explore a little bit. But like the idea of adapting, like you said, like saying, okay, well, you get this thing in your head, don't you? Right? Like, I'm never going to do X again. So I'm never going to do the night work again. And you feel like emotionally you've left it behind, but you've almost got to be open to going back to doing something you did before that perhaps wasn't your dream role. And then also being yeah. prepared to travel further. So you've really adapted to mm. what was out there, I guess, rather than putting up the shutters and saying, well, if it's not within an hour's drive and in the daytime, I can't do it. You just said, well, okay, well, I'll do this, this, and this and see where it might build to. So there's yeah. that real sort of combination of mm. being adaptable and
1: yeah
0: doing something you know And I've massively adaptable. expanded
1: my client base as well because oh, cool. there's I was, you know, I had a lot of work really locally so I just kept going back to the same practices. Mm-hmm. Um whereas now sort of a lot of those with one corporate who cancelled all locums I haven't worked for them at all for three months. And so mm. that was my main sort of company that I worked for so I've looked outside that and I've made loads of contacts of people totally outside of that and working for independent practices as well because I was preparing Because, you know, I quit my job, I started locating, it was all really good. And then the the thing I thought was going to ruin my life was not a pandemic, it was IR35. Oh, Um, yeah. Because, you know, which now we've all forgotten about. But um, all of the corporate practices said that they would no longer work with limited companies and they would only work with us um, under an umbrella company, which financially was was pretty diabolical for me. So I was already kind of preparing for that to have a huge impact. um, And the independent practices, which are few and far between, are not affected by that. but I sort of, I've now expanded the number of people that I work for in a lot more independent practices. So even with that coming in, I feel kind of like, well, actually, I've had that test already, mm-hmm. um, and what I've what I've done is it has worked for me. So I feel more confident moving forward. But it's also been good because I think I very much felt because the clinical locating was successful, I'd gone freelance to try and explore other things I'm interested in, mm-hmm. like writing and stuff. But because I. The clinical it was in my comfort zone it was well paid I if I, I had to turn down a day's work to then focus on something like writing which didn't really earn any money and it was a constant kind of challenge of well you know should I be turning down highly paid work mm-hmm. that I can just go down the road and and do within my comfort zone to explore this other stuff and you know, it was locked down when work was more scarce it was an opportunity to do that and not feel the guilt that you feel as a freelance for for turning down paid work because yeah. you are always worried, is there going to be more work? And you, you just don't feel able to turn mm. anything down. And so, actually, it was really nice. And I've, you know, she got paid writing work, which was a huge dream of mine. You've been doing a column,
0: haven't you? Tell us about your, you've been doing a column during lockdown and you blog as well.
1: Yeah, so yeah. I started a blog a couple of years ago. I've always, I wasn't a scientist at all. Um, I didn't pass my science A level. So <laughs> I was. <laughs> I bumped into my old chemistry teacher from secondary school a few years ago and I said to her, well I'm a vet now and she's like that is amazing but I genuinely don't understand how that happened I'm like I know it's amazing isn't it so I didn't get any science a levels I went to art school because I just could not pass my science a levels um And there's a couple of access courses for veterinary, which I didn't qualify for. Um, But there was one particular course at at Nottingham, which was a bit of an experiment. So it's called the preliminary Mm. year. And they have a problem sort of within veterinary and medicine that it's very high achievers. And it's a certain personality type that tends to get in because the academic requirements are so high. But then on the other side, they don't necessarily always make the best communicators. So they ran a programme for um, sort of 10-15 10-15 people from totally different backgrounds who had academic uh, proven kind of academic ability they looked more like a GCSEs I think than our A level so they were confident that we could pass it but that we didn't have we didn't meet the science requirements okay. so I was only a year out of school so I was the youngest but um we had you know, people up to their 40s um had someone who had a haulage company an anthropologist an accountant oh um a paramedic an ex-head um, veterinary nurse it was really really varied mm. um, and they put us on a fast track program to teach us all the science we called year zero which is a bit derogatory <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, <right. laughs> and we had our own little classroom at vet schools so everything was dangled in front of us so we weren't quite part of it yet Aww. but it was always writing uh, writing an art was always my bag not science mm-hmm. Um so it's always been kind of a dream really to return to that so yeah I have a also real strong interest in well-being in the Uh profession so I have a blog which was relatively successful it's been picked up by a few things Um, and so before lockdown I'd submitted an idea for a column to the Vet Times which is our big kind of national veterinary newspaper type Uh thing and it was about a monthly column about a different sort of well-being theme each week that I would try and then kind of write about my experiences and that was ready to go out just before lockdown but obviously I hadn't written it with any of that in mind and it just mm. really inappropriate because it mention it at all obviously all we could talk about was was Covid <laughs> so instead they suggested well we love the idea generally and we love your writing so why don't you write a diary about what it's like to be a vet during lockdown and um, so we parked the other idea completely and again adapted changed the plan and I started writing a weekly column and that's been going for 11 weeks now. Mm. That's a um, good it alongside all your
0: other stuff. That's a big thing to take on.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I started off writing it like a week in advance, sending it off to about seven different people to edit it. Um, <laughs> and now I'm on like, I kind of, Sunday at night, it, eight yeah. o'clock, oh my gosh, what am I going to write? <laughs> write it and send it. But that's been amazing. It's also been, a, it's been a real privilege because uh, you know, it, it's very much it's only my opinion and my experiences but it does sort of feel like you know I hope in some way to be representing the voice of the profession a little bit Um oh. it's also the first time that I've really written something that goes out to like thousands of my peers Um so it's been quite quite scary, so I guess you're really used to, but um Yeah, I don't think
0: about it that I'm much. Not. I don't I, when people say they've read something, I'm like, oh God, someone read my article. It doesn't often occur to me that people are gonna read it. I just like writing it. Weird. Yeah, but yeah. Well, I suppose
1: what you write doesn't necessarily go out to all of the it goes out to the public, doesn't it? Which is a different fearful thing. But I suppose it doesn't necessarily yes. go out to your peers.
0: No, that's true. Yeah, because um, your peers might say they don't agree with something you said or perhaps, you know, there might be a million reactions to it in the industry. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah yeah oh. definitely so another sort of nice thing of, of lockdown because people have had different amounts of time and um, so I found myself a veterinary uh, writing mm. pen pal so someone else oh. in the world who also wants to do some writing and she's been doing different pieces of writing so we send it to each other each that's week and, like give each other feedback which has been lovely and again that's something that just wouldn't have happened otherwise but it's been really useful for you know, it's one thing for my mum to read and go, "Yes, it's mm. lovely," but <laughs> so for another member of the profession to read it and say, "Well, actually, I read this and it made me think, you know, think this, or it made me feel like, you know, because it, it's scary, isn't it, writing mm. something to your peers? And you have to be, yeah. as you'll be very aware, you have to think of all the different ways a sentence can be read, and yeah, that's not something that I've been trained in. So, yeah, so that's been really, really cool, and has led to kind of lots of other opportunities as well.
0: That's brilliant. I
1: love that idea because you could almost
0: do that. Someone was chatting to the other day, and they were saying they wrote a lot of in, um, articles on LinkedIn because you can just put up blog posts. But mm-hmm. then I guess if you've not got anybody monitoring that, you might put something up, and you haven't realised in your bubble that what you've written is perhaps not appropriate, or it might be yeah, misinformed. Whereas if you yeah. you know, so I guess people could do that with any form of writing, couldn't they? In terms of or anything there, even like if they're writing emails to a new client. You could yeah, say, definitely. right, you'll have a pen pal every week, you'll send off your new email and they'll say, oh, I wouldn't start it like
1: that. Or that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, we even can just little things, pal. like I wrote a piece about um, how having the ability to triage as vets. So kind of, if you have a waiting room full of animals, you'll triage yeah. them according to actually, well, what's urgent, what's important, what's an emergency and what can wait. And how that skill Gave us a head start in coping with lockdown because really, what the government were asking us to do was to triage our everyday life and say, well, is something essential? Is it important? Mm-hmm. Is it not? And we were quite frustrated with clients that, you know, we very quickly were able to do that, whereas our clients were, did not seem to be able to understand that the nail clip wasn't essential. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote a, a piece about that, which is quite interesting. But I very much sort of I kept using the phrase like, or oh, as a night vet, because I do emergency work, mm-hmm. sort of writing about that. And I think in a, the first thing, my um, writing pal picked up was like well actually when I read that I'm not a night vet but I still triage all the time and I just felt a little bit like you were saying that oh as a night vet you're much better at it and that wasn't my intention at all Mm -hmm. but actually you're just taking out the phrase as a night vet just writing as a vet or as a veterinary professional because um it's very much not just for vets but for nurses as well and um, and even receptionists have those sorts of skills so just picking Mm -hmm. up those little things that were not your intention but the way someone reads it and so yeah it's really really useful and just developing new friendships as well by sharing
0: yeah.
1: those sorts of things. Oh, I love
0: that it's funny you talk about the the, the triaging and people coming in with this I, I've heard stories on Facebook of people like you know I'm on a few dog groups because I'm hoping to get a dog so people <laughs> will say oh when am I allowed to go back to vet?" yeah to de- get the dog's claws clipped or you know there's there's the sort of levels of different animal things that normally you'd go straight to a vet for have you had mm. any experiences during lockdown that have been a bit unusual. Like you mentioned on email when we were chatting, that you've been doing some sort of meetups in Carpox, and I know that there are other people that have taken their pets how does it work when you're a vet in lockdown does someone have to like let put their dog on a long lead unless it walks towards you and then you'll inspect it's it's got a cut or something
1: or how does it work <laughs> there's loads of different ways of doing it so we mm. were really really strict um mm. we were doing everything sort of on a teleconsultation point of view unless it was a dire emergency so either on the phone which was quite challenging mm. um or people were using some like video um platforms which i didn't really use so there's like in human medicine telemedicine is an up-and-coming thing within the veterinary world so that's probably been accelerated mm-hmm. um and then yeah I mean again the cool thing about being a freelancer is I've been to probably 10 different practices throughout lockdown and everyone's doing it differently Um so the practice I'm in at the moment we go out to the car parks so the client is meant for, to ring and let us know that they're here <laughs> 50% of the time does not happen and you go out and say well I've been waiting for an hour it's like well did you let us know you're here no <laughs> I don't know you're Yeah. then they either um if they've got a cap then they'll just sort of pop it in the box and then they'll step back and we'll get it so we go out in kind of advise a, um we're trying to be really careful with our use hmm. of PPE to preserve it for either hospitals or emergency stuff we need to deal with so we've got um washing up gloves that we reuse oh, um, and then we've got some visors and we've got fabric masks so we look a bit ridiculous because it's a bit of a mismatch of the PPE um I've got my washing up gloves have flowers on to make them a bit less scary looking I guess you could have gardening um, gloves couldn't
0: you as well I'm Yeah, am what definitely. else do you use
1: that's really cool yeah they EP's can all be washed
0: mm.
1: yeah and then we go and I've got we've got our own practice lead so the owner, will try and kind of push their dog towards us and we'll hook it on our lead and then they'll take their lead off and then we'll have um a chat about the history and then i'll take the animal in and then we're working in strict pairs so i've got a nurse that works with me all the time mm-hmm. and so then we'll examine the animal um treat it in whatever way and then we'll give it back um but i've also done things where we've got like a double door system which i think is more common where the owner will put the animal through mm-hmm. the door you'll take it through and then you'll ring them um, but everything basically just everything takes a really long time yeah. um, because normally you multitask um, and while the owner is talking I've genuinely finished examining the animal by the time they finish talking so you're doing everything at once so yeah it's challenging very yeah. challenging. Everyone's charged with emotion in lockdown anyway and you're charged yeah. with emotion if your pet isn't well and then they've yeah. got
0: you've got to almost sort of counsel them through the moment of saying "Yeah, hey, just hand you leave your cat there in, in the carpet and I'll go to it and they're probably you know really worried that something's going to Bad yeah, that absolutely. Got to manage yeah. All of
1: that as well. <laughs> well, I think lockdown it sort of magnified people. Like some people have just been unbelievably lovely because they're so grateful that we're, mm-hmm. you know, putting ourselves at risk by seeing their animal um but you tend to forget about those ones and focus on the people that were probably (laughs) difficult before and now because they're stressed and they're under whatever pressures they're under they're even more difficult and some people have been incredibly unreasonable (laughs) unfortunately your brain tends to remember those people and forget about the people that are are really lovely yeah Um, i think also people are becoming a little bit less socialized as well so it's sort of quite interesting i think you know we're very very busy and for some people, they haven't had a lot of human contact, so mm. that you just can't stop them from talking, which is lovely. <laughs> but I think people forget, and they you can't, behind a mask, you can't see people's visual cues. But also mm. some people, I think, aren't used to talking. And, like, we have had a few people treat us a bit like a drive-through mm. McDonald's. And, yeah, I think the worst, one, I had someone, quite a, a big car, and I went near the car to see if it was the animal I wanted. And they just they just literally pressed a button, the boot opened, and the dog ran out, and, and I was just... <laughs> here's my dog (laughs) that's your dog I don't know who you are I don't know what's wrong with your dog you you know you do actually have to speak to me (laughs) but I think you know it is over time like it's affecting people's um social skills Mm -hmm. and we're definitely seeing that so yeah but it has been really interesting kind of by working in lots of different practices I've seen lots of different ways of doing it and the things that work well and things that don't work well and, and lots of different protocols and and that's been really interesting and really useful for writing the column as well, because although it is only my opinion and experiences, they are based on sort of quite a wide um, subset of, of different practices and different ways of doing things, which has mm. been, been really useful. And I think developing my writing and sort of other things within the veterinary sphere, the freelancing and going to different places and um, just getting kind of what people are feeling on the ground, that's been really useful. That's cool. Um, ha. And yes you it feels doing? like everything's feeding into it yeah it's kind of like mix isn't it what other things are
0: you are you doing then on, on, on when you I mean I don't know when you would have five minutes from the sound of your job but <laughs> <laughs> you're clearly, clearly a very good multitasker what else has been happening for you so I know you do your blog don't you this vet runs um yeah. have you been keeping up with that and and sort of what else do you do and what do you do for wellness and for your own self-care when you're not tending to the sick poorly paws? <laughs> tell me a bit about your sort of other um, stuff
1: so I'm quite involved in well-being in the veterinary profession but uh, so we so I'm involved in um or recently became a co-director of an initiative called well vet mm-hmm. um, well-being initiative for the veterinary profession and, oh, cool. and kind of like well-being events and like residential weekends so we did a, a big uh, virtual conference about three weeks ago I think mm-hmm. now which was amazing so that was lot of work and actually my partner Tom because he's not working he's quite techy and he got uh, he was working full-time on that as well so that's another kind of lockdown thing we ended up
0: working together
1: both using different skills because you you didn't think a vet and an architect would necessarily work together but actually Mm. it was him using his computer skills which I didn't realise he had and then me doing more like well-being media stuff and working together really well so that was kind of that was really exciting yeah but he pointed out which I think means he's graduated to the well-being world that actually organising a well-being conference is not particularly good for your own well-being
0: God, I hear this um, a lot
1: yeah yeah it was very stressful um there was a lot to do and we were sort of working till 1am getting up at five I haven't been so my blog's called this that runs and it was started about how I used exercise for my own well-being mm. and my experience with that but I have to admit I haven't actually gone a run for about three weeks now because i went it was just too hectic organizing all of that and then i because i i turned down quite that ended up had to do that full time for a fortnight so i turned down a lot of paid work um which i then banked up at the end so i went straight Mm -hmm. from that to six 15 hour night shifts with then less than 24 hours off before starting this full-time position for two months with no break so um that's been quite difficult and mm. I think you know I'm still new to freelancing so I have not um got the hang of the fact that work will come and I do need to book in time for my own mm. um well-being so I'm yeah I write a lot about well-being but it's not something I feel I'm necessarily managing very well but you know it was difficult to relate to that I think <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> but I think I just about got to the point where I felt like you know what there is work mm. I can take a Tuesday off um and it won't make any difference and then lockdown happened and then that confidence was was broken again so it's it is really difficult and I don't feel like I can turn and you know I you know I'm I'm freelance so I've taken you know like a two three month position but they were Mm. like well do you need is there any days you need off or do you need is there a week off and I'm like no 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 that's fine yes I'll do
0: everything you want yeah I do that no no
1: I'm really regressing that but you know if I take a week off then that costs me you know quite a lot of money and I don't know I don't have any workbooks after this and I don't know what the world looks like after this and will there be another lockdown for the retinue world as well the whole track and trace thing um, is potentially devastating because if someone in our practice were to get it then um, we're doing our best work in in pairs but I think currently the position would be that the whole practice would have to shut down Mm. Um, and as a freelancer you know before the track and trace thing I, I did a, i think I worked with six or seven people across different practices that tested positive but that but you know I didn't have any symptoms or anything, so I didn't have to take any time off but now mm. that would be devastating. I could potentially have not worked for eight weeks so yeah sure. yeah it is mm. it's really really difficult, but I have explored kind of the other stuff, so yeah, so do the well being um and that takes up quite a lot of time, and then the writing and some social media stuff um mm. And then sort of relatively separately to all of that, I also do a lot around pregnancy loss and infertility in the profession. Um, So I set up a group called Vet Minds, which stands for um, miscarriage, infertility, neonatal death and stillbirth. Um, And so I sort of run a support group around that kind of stuff, but I'm also hoping to um, develop a set of guidelines for practices around supporting people in work and returning to work after those sorts of losses or going through things like fertility treatment. So that's something... I was kind of hoping for a little bit more I'm very lucky to have the work that I have but I was yeah. hoping also for a little bit more time off during lockdown to develop that a little bit further because now that I'm working full time again it's quite hard I'm having to then balance I've made all these commitments I've got involved with yeah. all these things which are amazing but now they're sort of falling to the evenings and the weekends which is putting a pressure on, on other things so yeah. yeah that's the kind of other um other segment of stuff that I do within within the veterinary profession.
0: That's really lovely because it's funny, but you don't really think it's such a practical job and you're around,
1: yes, different mm-hmm.
0: animals. There's probably a lot of physical challenges in terms of the threat to your wellness rather than just the mental health thing as well. It's like, yes, if you were pregnant or, or, or trying for a family, then there are certain aspects, sort of animals you can't be around or things you need to do that are extra. To You don't think of any of that. That's a really wonderful idea. Have you found that it's been something that people have really related to? That's really lovely to set up something like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, it'd be lovely to collect some data. Or not lovely, I suppose, but interesting to collect some data on whether where the losses and mm. invasiveness of wards more common within medical professionals because we do we deal with anaesthetics on a daily basis, a lot of drugs which can cause. Um, miscarriages and stuff like that but i think the thing is that it's just basically really really common
0: uh-huh. um
1: one in four pregnancies ends in a miscarriage and so until you have those sorts of experiences yourself you don't realize um just how unbelievably common it is and i think our group it's a little bit international but mostly uk but i think there's around 550 um yeah. professionals um on that group and and to be on that group that's also you know it's obviously it's a profession it's with your professional peers and so all of those people are comfortable having their name appear within that group so that is probably a tiny fraction really of the number of people that are affected but yeah that's been an amazing thing to to be involved with and yeah I think really interesting and I think sort of hopefully working with some of the higher up people in the corporates to develop because certainly when I went back to work after a loss it wasn't dealt with well and that's what kind of made me think well actually you know what I want to um it's not something anyone had ever spoken mm. about within the vet world before it's it's quite a cutthroat environment it's very much like the last person to leave is the hardest worker and you oh, know probably. people don't talk about yeah yeah it's changing massively but people don't talk about that stuff and generally it's a badge of honor as all you know I was mm. Still carving cows, 32 weeks pregnant, and that's the sort of attitude. And and it's also it's a very emotional environment as well. So it it's a very difficult environment to go back to work if you're grieving anything because yeah. you take on a lot of other people's emotions and you have to be very emotionally robust to deal with that. And I found that very challenging yeah. going back to work and dealing with things like euthanasias when I was already emotionally very fragile. Well, um, so I think yeah. it's it's an important space. So yeah. And everything sort of, even though it was a bit weird, I started off thinking, well, how on earth can I find a career that has like veterinary stuff running, a bit of well-being um, and some pregnancy loss thrown in there. <laughs> but somehow everything. You've created it. Like it started, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's very much a portfolio career. But I think, I guess maybe the writing kind of ties everything together a little bit because mm-hmm. I can write about all of those things. Um, yeah. And I can still write with my vet hat on, even though I'm not being a vet when I'm doing it
0: that's really interesting it's funny because it, you just immediately think when you think small animal vet you, I mean I'm sure everyone says this is like oh fluffy kittens and oh yeah. looked after <laughs> a hamster today and I'll leave the exotics because I don't like snakes so no offense to anyone that's got mm. a pet snake but I wouldn't want to be involved in that but there is that level of everyone probably thinks it's quite cutesy you know you're helping with so-and-so's rabbit, yeah. but actually from the sounds of it it's hugely emotionally charged yes like you said sort of you know mm some pets might might not be able to be treated and then you have to make that decision to, to help the family say goodbye and if you're trying yeah. to, to do any kind of emotional stuff yourself that's really because I was going to ask you probably what the biggest well-being mm. challenges are and I didn't imagine that that would be what they were actually and it's like of course that makes sense now we've discussed it but
1: yeah yeah I think even though I I think I went into it with my eyes open i didn't. Pretty practical work experience, and I think I knew that it wasn't just going to be playing with puppies and kittens. But I mm. don't think I fully took on board, and I'm sure it's the same for doctors as well, just how much of my job is delivering bad news. Mm. Because actually, you know, well, we definitely, we, everything that we diagnose generally is not a positive thing. And most mm. of you know, you do your vaccinations and you do your routine work, but pretty much everything else comes with a lot of emotion. And it's not just the euthanasia, is it? Well, yeah, you know, it, it is, it's really, really hard. Mm. Um, but I think the hardest thing is not necessarily dealing with that. It's also just over time the emotional thing of constantly swapping between dealing with something like that and then walking into a room and it's a puppy vaccination, and yeah. you just you cannot you do not have the time in your day to think about those things. And so you know I often find that I cry my way home. Once I'm in the car, mm. I'm in my own space, and yeah, that's the time when you maybe deal with it. um But but yeah, it's a very challenging, mm. very challenging job. And then on top of long hours and tiredness and yeah it's not just cuddling puppies and kittens.
0: <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so unfair. I
1: know, it? I know. <laughs> but there is so, some but there there is some lovely I mean there's a lot of lockdown puppies. You, yeah. Do you have a, no, do do have a so
0: dog at the moment or are you thinking of getting a puppy? I can't remember from our chats before. Uh,
1: no I've got um so I've got a twelve year old lab colleague called That's Millie. It. Um so yeah there. love of my life. <laughs> oh she's gorgeous. She
0: obviously probably keeps you balanced mentally as well Does, of having her at the end of a day oh
1: god no. no no i find it no well no no she's lovely she's got the intelligence of a collie but the sort of loyal sweetness like 100 percent trustworthy of a labrador so she's she's a lovely combination um but i think yeah i've gone i think some people having knowledge helps them stay balanced for for me it makes me an incredibly neurotic persona. (laughs) I find it a huge because she's she's an older girl um, and I worry about her a lot I can't put down black labrador (laughs) I have to get a colleague to do it because I just sob and sob and sob and it I cry through all of my euthanasias anyway which normally is fine because um I get to know my clients and they know that you care Mm. and generally it's fine but with black labrador sometimes I'm crying a lot more than they are and then that is a bit weird so um yeah I find it I find a huge Girl. pressure being my dog's vet um gotcha, so yeah no I'm sure she does keep me back she's definitely a, a very positive part of my life In sort of certainly going for dog walks and having that routine and and that yeah. is all lovely but um yeah I find since she got to about nine so probably for three years that I do kind of worry on a daily basis well I hope hope Millie is a
0: support for you but she's good for cuddles as well (laughs) very good for cuddles very good for cuddles um thank you so much for chatting to me about your freelance vet life i feel like i've had a real sort of exclusive look into an industry that i knew nothing about so it's been amazing (laughs) um where can people find you would you like to tell them sort of about the blog where your column is if they'd like to follow you on instagram or indeed if they are a veterinary company and they might like to use your services tell us all where we can find more from you now.
1: Um so my blog, which is mostly about kind of uh, more about like exercise and wellbeing, mm-hmm. is called This Vet runs So um and that's generally my social media handles of This Vet Runs. Um but I have a professional website called thisvet.co.uk which is more about um some of the writing, freelance vet and media work that I do. So that's kind of more of my professional thing. Um but yeah, but there's only one Nat Scroggy out there. So, <laughs> so a simple Google of Nat Scroggy. There's Scroggy not any with a other double G I E. Yeah. Exactly. There's not any other vector to that surname. So I'm That's easily that. found.
0: Brilliant. Same with Stallard, so I relate to that as well. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, thanks for joining me, Nat. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Listening to Freelance Feels, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and if you have, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and follow for future episodes. You can find more about Freelance Feels at freelancefeels.com and more of my work at jennystallard.com. Freelance Feels also has a monthly newsletter which you can sign up to at freelancefeels.substack.com, and for daily updates, follow on Instagram and Twitter at freelance underscore feels.